Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast. We have a very exciting and different format of a show to you, for you today. This is our 20th episode. Marissa and I Woo! are very pumped. And we want to invite everybody and welcome you all to the party that we're now having oh, in yeah. the pod. We got uh, a woo squad here. We got a woo, woo squad. <laughs> uh, so the format of what we decided to do today uh, to all of our, our listeners out there is we just decided to basically invite everybody who's ever been on the show before for whoever was available when we were recording this, just to bring part of our community together. Uh, we wanted to be able to have great conversations. Uh, we want to be able to reflect on the things that we're learning uh, in the sport and about ourselves and ways that we can contribute. And at the same time, just have a great time building relationships with one another, which is about, uh, which is genuinely what we're trying to build on the show. Uh, we're trying to grow and we're trying to connect. So, uh, Marissa, any, uh, any Marissa, here's the other part. Marissa gets to actually join the whole time on the show today. So I'm personally very excited yeah. because she, yes. we, we all love her on the show and she's such a delight. So she gets to be more of a, a integral part today. Yeah. Marissa, anything mm -hmm. you want to chime in or say? Go Charlotte FC. Woo. Oh my gosh. Thanks. Wells. Ooh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Girl. Uh, uh yeah. Yeah, we just didn't show up. But um, yeah, I'm excited to uh, have a seat at the table with everyone uh, uh, virtually and, you know, get into some soccer talk. I'm usually in the backstage doing my things and making notes and prepping the episode. So I'll be here on screen at all times unless my dog has a freak out and I have to jump off. But yeah, I'm here. And now, you know what? We're gonna do? By the way, so. Yeah. <laughs> gunner, gunner, gunner. Um, he doesn't know his name yet, so I'm just gonna keep saying the name. Um, yeah, so we uh let's do a, a little quick intro for those who are listening, uh, who are the people that are here. Um, so I'll go to on screen to to the right. So Rory, why don't you start us off? Tell us your name and uh your affiliation and what you do. Sure. Uh, so my name is Rory Sutherland, and um, I direct the sports performance for San Diego Surf uh, Soccer Club in Del Mar. And um, I also uh, currently in an office, I'm also an exercise physiologist. So uh, I do a lot with cardiology, um, put people on on treadmills and, and look at how they handle stress. Um, and in the end, that's really kind of the fun, the fundamental thing we're looking at is, is how we handle stress and how resilient we are against it. So, um, I like these kind of, uh, th these two, these two modes that I have, but, um, and then, uh, on the kind of a third part there is, is I run uh, a little Instagram and, and kind of a side business called Southerly performance. And so there's remote training that I do with that, um, kind of like app based programming, um, and it's also a place where I just kind of um, go through education and, and post cool science articles regarding the sport or other things that I'm interested in. So I think that's the short of it. Great. Great. Yeah. And uh, for those listening, Rory was on our 16th episode. So um, he covers a lot of uh, stuff that he works in um, on his episode specifically. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. And Rory, I do have to say this because when your episode, when you're talking about breathing through your nose, like almost every night I think about putting tape on my mouth just to like <laughs> breathe through my nose. Because <laughs> I'm like, I know it's going to work. But like, and then I was walking up the stairs to Nashville, I see. So there's like 
90 stairs from like one of the parking lots to the top of the mm-hmm. and i was like you know it was hot it was like 100 degrees and i was just like remembering what you said like breathe your nose breathe your nose and yeah. i made it i mean it wasn't like a big deal but like i just i'm not a soccer player but those very basic <laughs> fundamentals uh did yeah. help me get that but climb it's good if you do those stairs often you can keep practicing mm-hmm. and you'll notice it'll get a lot easier a lot faster uh it's it's, it's a cool yeah. effect yeah mm-hmm. one stare for every minute that charlotte fc was in the lead against that game against the other day. <laughs> thank <laughs> you jason i really appreciate oh, this i'm not even a okay, you'll man. get roasted the rest of the show it's fine I, I, listen All right. the sounder, listen andrew andrew's gonna come up with because he knows exactly how to push my buttons really quick based on the performance this last weekend in mls so we'll get there uh let's go counterclockwise there uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, my my boy, to with the uh, Larry King glasses. What you got? What's up, guys? Andrew Hosmar, uh, working business intelligence with the New England Revolution. It's been almost a year. This is now my fourth club that I've worked for in the U.S. Um, recently, I just got back from visiting the league headquarters for the first time in New York, and we won't talk about our match against New York City. That's besides the point. And uh, as Jason said, I know how to push his buttons. And the first club I ever worked for was the Timbers. So it was a good weekend for us, especially. Build a and <laughs> got the fish. Um, and uh, But Jason and I have, gosh, we started talking maybe sometime in early 2020. And ever since then, just been, like you said, done a great job of kind of connecting with other professionals around the country and especially around the world too. And just looking to, you know, conversations like these are crucial to continuing to grow the sport in the U S and always happy to participate and, uh, you know, share ideas. Yeah, buddy. Happy to have you. Can't wait to, maybe we'll get a chance for you to also chime in and share about some of the European vacation you just got back and all the clubs you got to visit as well. Uh, Sunshine, moving around the, <laughs> moving around your house with the video. Are you anywhere near your, uh, your, your, your setup there, Mr. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm here. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? My name is Thomas Wells Thompson. That is not a joke. My parents named me Thomas Thompson, but I go by Wells. You know, it's funny. The uh, lunch ladies at uh, Wake Forest thought that was hilarious. Uh, your know. name was Wells or Tommy Thompson? Tommy Thompson. They would always laugh at it and be like, it's a cool name. My granddad's name was Tommy Thompson, by the way. Okay. Who am I? That's a good question. Um, I'm a I'm a husband. I've been married for 10 years to my pre-K sweetheart. No joke. We have three young boys, uh, eight, five, and three. And parenting is the hardest, greatest thing in the world. <laughs> Amen. I, can I was an expert before I had kids and now I'm just a dumb ass because I don't, you know, I'm just glad they're alive at the end of the day. Yep. That's it's amazing. Lovely. More people, one don't like their, their kids don't perish or two, they don't kill their kids. Yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest thing about being a parent. It's just the shock value that the human, uh, the human, humankind has flourished and grows numerically. It's just this. Dude, I, massive I, read the, I read the books before I was a parent and I told oh. my brother, he was doing it the wrong way before I had kids. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're doing it wrong. This is a book says to do it this way. And, uh, I realized that it's a lot harder than just reading a book. So, um, yeah, 
you want me to go into like my background and stuff? No, 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 no. You're good. We're, we're gonna we're gonna throw we're gonna throw a lot of a few grenades in there. It's kind of funny when you say that though, because that almost makes me want to think and jump right into coaching and to even playing. It's like you can you can read a book, like you can read one of Pep's books, like on his coaching philosophy. That doesn't mean that like that's always the right way to do it in every situation, right? Those yeah. are those are general good guides, and that there's some conventional wisdom in there. But well, I tell you, can I tell you real quick why I introduced myself that way? Yeah. Is because I only saw myself as an athlete for 32 years of my life. And then one day I wasn't an athlete anymore. I had no idea who the hell I was. Yeah. And so um, it's, it's, I think that, you know, it's so easy in this world to be defined by what we do, by our work. Um, and it's important for us to have these conversations about yeah. being more than an athlete, being more than a coach, being more than your record, your performance, because I just so believe, man, that like, um, balance off the field okay talking sports now balance off the field creates enhanced performance on the field and vice versa in whatever sphere or work that you're you're in yeah oh, that's a great point dude thank I'm you so much glad you shared it yeah because we're, we're this we're definitely more than what we do and i think that we have a, we have a culture that definitely only values production your, your your value really comes from hey how much do you produce at, at home how much do you produce at work how much money do you have how, you know what's your degrees what have you done instead of like well who are you I've met a lot of really terrible people who have a lot of money, who have a lot of influence, who have a lot of degrees. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're great people. It just means that they've done mm -hmm. stuff. You can't assign the value just based on what you've done. And I'm sure yeah. you guys, you know, uh, everybody in the room pretty much has played sport before. And just because someone is the best player on the team doesn't mean that they're the best soccer player or the best person. Well, I, um, I think I, there's, there's a massive, and sorry to interrupt you, there's a massive gap there because the best player is always the leader, but they don't know how to lead. You know, they don't, and that's not taught. So I think it needs to be taught more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of want to first tee this off too. I'm kind of curious for you guys, uh, I, again, throwing out the round table, what is it that you guys want to, I have a few things I would love to chat about today, but what are some things that you guys are kind of be excited to talk about? things that are on your mind or things, you know, ideas that you'd love to kind of share and get people's thoughts and reflections on. Um, Cause I got a couple of things I'd love to be able to throw out there, but I want to open the floor first up to everybody else's kind of thoughts and contributions. I don't want to talk. I just want to hear from Rory and Andrew. So <laughs> I was going to be the fly on the wall. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, I'd be really interested in hearing from Rory kind of what, how he feels about the relationship of, complex data is with that now trainers are having access to and what is kind of the proper balance of like a holistic approach versus trying to be you know so precise and many you know, i got my whoop on i've had it for a yeah. couple of years um you know i have access to probably way more data than i need just as you know like a weekend warrior whatever you would call it so uh sure. you know, what is i guess do you view it as something that you know, it's just a nice supplement to have, or do you really think there's a, a future of trying to, you know, be able to predict, you know, how many minutes a player could play in a match? And again, that's an extreme example, but like, I feel yeah. like that's something that some people might actually try to, you know, implement at some point. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm a very biometrically dependent person, uh, almost to a fault. Um, so, I do, I do see a lot of benefit with it. Um, I've done some of the, the GPS tracking myself and really kind of fundamentally, the most important thing is 
you know, what have you been doing and what are you going to be doing? I, I really, that's, that's like the fundamental question that I want to know first and foremost, and, and then break it into um, internal load, which will be, you know, all your biometrics, your heart rate, your HRV, your respirations, um, depending on your levels of tracking. I mean, you know, some clubs are going to be looking at your analysis and uh, things of that nature. And then your external loads, you know, your GPS, your speed, your duration. Um, and so, you know, it, it is big. Um, I think, I think when you go through education in my field, you know, you see like the big shiny objects and you're super stoked to like get data crunching. Um, but then you get kind of punched in the face when you try to explain it to the skills coaches. Uh, and so it, it's, I think, you know, the data is massively important and I'm always going to be a proponent of it. Um, but also you need those skills to be able to communicate them effectively. Um, because, you know, I, I've seen clubs where they have, uh, you know, 60 stat sports trackers, which so many clubs would be dying to have, and they're just sitting there collecting dust. Um, and so, and so, and you need someone to take and clean the data and, and, you know, uh, it, it's a full-time job. Um, so to have that luxury, it's a massive luxury now from like the personal basis, like, so just me here with my Garmin watch, you know, I'm looking at it. I'm always posting on my social media about it. Um, you know, the information it provides, you know, where it, it it's not always going to be super accurate, but it'll be, uh, precise and it'll, it'll help you understand deviation from norm. Um, I would like, you know, even, even kind of the, the, the older youth players, um, you know, before they get into maybe like the collegiate setting to start to understand these things, start, start to understand like, so like when you're in a sleep lab, you have 30 plus sensors on you. Uh, and this watch, you know, has, I don't know, four or five sensors that are acting all at once. Um, so it's not going to be the most, the most accurate, but it does know that it does know when I had a late session, right? Uh, it does know when I had a relatively restful sleep. So I think the more we can learn about uh, learn about ourselves from just the health standpoint, uh, a lot of my players don't care about health; they care about performance. And kind of what you know, Wells was talking about. Um, you know, what are we taking from athletics outside? You know, outside of the outside of the pitch. Um, I want more people, and I want more parents to be looking at how is this healthy, rather than you know how is this successful. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I don't know if I ever had going back to playing, you know, uh, club growing up and playing in high school and stuff like never thought that was never crossing our minds. Was So I think it's good to have that when we yeah. talk about, you know, injury prevention at the collegiate and then getting into professional level, you know, some people, depending yeah. on the school you're going to, you're not going to have access to a lot of the same resources. And so the more you can arm sure. people with information on their own, then they can, you know, be yeah, better prepared to, to kind of understand what's going on in their body. Yeah. Nice. Right. Uh, great question there, Andrew, uh, Roy, appreciate your thoughts there on that. Uh, we got, got somebody else who's joined, uh, in on the pod. Uh, Elliot, you want to go ahead and say what's up to everybody and hey, Elliot, uh, Hey Elliot. Uh, what's, having you, buddy. what's up everyone how we doing we're doing good buddy yeah good to see you yeah you as well it's a good conversation i'm uh just listening in here that's kind of what we wanted to do here on the old 20th episode here of the soccer geeks podcast is you know 
our aim and heart is to bring people together and have great conversations. You know, those are kind of the two things we really want to do. Um, Miss Maggie, I want to bring you into. I know that uh, Maggie's. Uh, Maggie Bell, yes. Yeah, yeah she's walking. I love yeah. Maggie Bell. <laughs> I am in route to a coffee shop right now, so I'm going to stay off video for a minute. But good to be on here with everyone. Hello. Yeah, you're good. Maggie's so sweet. I actually just texted Maggie a few seconds ago and I was like, Maggie, we need, we need a female, we need another female body in the room. Like, would you get in here? I got, we got too many dudes hanging out. So, um, she is always the kindest person in the room, uh, and jumped on with us. So thanks so much, Mags. Um, looking forward to when you, you can join us via video, but yeah, glad yeah, that you're course. here. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, Marissa too. Do you remember uh, everybody's episode numbers in the room? Cause I, I don't, I don't know that I do. Um, because I, we, you know, on the show sometimes too, we record things and then we kind of change the order as they get released. So I don't, I don't remember everybody yeah. in the number of episodes that they were there. So I don't remember everyone's, but I do have the list right in front of me. So, you <laughs> yeah. Know. Okay. Fair enough. Well, maybe you can, you can spot uh, Maggie, was, we Maggie have... was two of the most recent episodes. Yeah. Was that? We did. Yeah, I did. I, yeah. You're uh, I do want to, um, mention, um, uh, Andrew's episode was episode eight. He was one of the first ones that we interviewed. So yeah. um, but it came out like a lot later than we uh, originally recorded it. So <laughs> we'll probably yeah. need to have one and like have a different like recording style. Like your yeah. style was different. Like, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, and then we have Elliot's was um, episode 10. 10 or 12. Yeah. And then well, good number. Was- hey, there you go. Yeah, do the maestro. Here we go. Hey, you know, one of the things uh, I wanted to kind of throw out to everybody too, um, just just by way of curiosity, you know, so people know when the pod comes out, you know, we're only recording this a week before uh, we actually release it. Um, and here we are in like the, the height of summer transfer windows. And, you know, one of the things we don't do on the show typically is talk about current events because who knows when it's getting released. However, we know when this one's coming out. I'm just kind of curious if anybody uh, would love to be able to share kind of the summer signing, I guess, in the game uh, that you guys and gals are, are probably most excited about uh, just looking forward to the fall. Um, obviously this year is going to be wild because it's a world cup in December year, which is going to have, I think some pretty big ramifications on leagues around the world. And just kind of curious what, um, what summer signing or what signing during this uh, transfer window you guys feel is going to have the, the biggest impact globally on the game. No idea. Well, I love the fact that no one follows. No one follows. Like UFC or MMA, I'm down. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. That that actually really tells me all I need to know. Yeah. Okay. Thomas Thompson. All right. (laughs) Anybody? I mean, I've got like two or three, but no one wants to hear me talk the entire time. So, what do you? Anybody else? (laughs) Andrew, who are you? Who are you most excited about signing-wise? Here at the Revs, I mean, it's got to be Petrovic. He's. Okay. It's hard to believe that he put together like a team of the week performance last week and still gave up four goals, which mm-hmm. just goes to show how that match went last week against City. But um, yeah, well, three of those were PKs, dude. It's yeah. Let's not, let's not go there. They were soft yeah. PKs too. Let's not. Let's not. Go there. <laughs> um. But uh, I mean, outside uh, outside the U.S., um, I mean, as a U.S. fan, it's exciting to see exciting to see what we're building at Leeds, and 
Um, but in terms of like actual like impact, I mean, it's got to be Holland. I can't think of. He's the one position that City needs, and he's an absolute killer. So yeah. uh, I'm excited to see that. Yeah. I, I I mean I have a question because Nashville um, is playing LAFC on Sunday, um, and they're gonna have Cellini and Bale. Yeah, whatever, whatever you want to call him, the Italian guy. Yeah. Sorry, Italian. Are you the speaker for all Italians? Um, three ways to pronounce season in Italian. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Thank you for roasting me. I appreciate it. Um, oh, it's like no one cares. It's good. I know. Um, I'm curious how these older or what the mentality is behind these older players coming over to the U.S. and how that affects the growth of the game just in general, um, MLS, because I feel like it's been happening for, what, 20 years? All these older players coming over. Who does it start with? Beckham? Um, and how that will affect, um, what, well, the growth with the World Cup coming in. Um, but does that make more people follow MLS just because they have these huge stars? Like, are they making impact on the field? Like, I don't know. I don't know if you guys think of that because they're like, oh, my God, it's so great. Like, Gareth Bale is going to go against Whit Zimmerman. It's like a preview of uh, the uh, He's doing World marketing. He's doing, he's doing research. You got to respect yeah. Bale. He's getting, yeah. he's getting embedded in the weeds there in his data research. He's going to find out real fast. Yeah, you I know, don't know Marissa, here's why I think this is a great question. You know, for a long time, Americans have been accused or, or globally, right, American players – have had this um, narrative that, oh, Chelsea's just signing Pulisic to sell jerseys. Oh, it, you know, Red Bulls are only picking, you know, Leipzig and, and, uh, and Salzburg are only getting American players to get eyeballs. And so there's like this narrative where the only reason why Americans would care about a club in Europe would be because, you know, they're signing American players to sell jerseys. And I, I almost wonder if like the same narrative is kind of true. Like the narrative is just like, oh, well, players just go to the United States now just to kind of phone it in and collect a paycheck and to raise the profile of the league. So there's like these narratives that are that I think kind of go on around the league. I look, you know, Gerard and Frank Lampard both showed that like you can't just walk into this league and think that you're going to be able to run over everybody like they showed it like they were absolutely terrible playing in the United States and those guys wholeheartedly they they did not have enough left in the tank for for what the game is here. Wells, you played a long time in MLS. Uh you played during a time where some guys did treat this as like a European retirement league. Um did you ever kind of come across that or how was that kind of perceived from inside locker rooms? Yeah, with the league the league's obviously gotten a little better since my time. Um <laughs> but uh I mean, you know, there's a lot of successful guys that have come over. I mean, David Beckham, I don't know how old he was when he came over, but he was damn good. Yeah. Like, I just remember, like, playing against him, being like, oh, he's old, you know. I mean, he's, he's good. He's still freaking good. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there's a lot of positive examples like, uh, you know, uh, Henri Beckham, um, who's uh, Blanco uh Schweinsteiger yeah. right there's a lot of positive examples I mean and and you know I, I do think it benefits MLS like you, you, are you gonna sit here and say that Gary 
Gareth Bale's not good. I think he's still good. 32 years old is not like it's old considered in soccer, but like one of the things that happens when you get older in the sport is you get wiser. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to compensate for your um, for the lack of youth, right? The lack of so-called youth. So if you get wiser, you get smarter. I mean, I think I retired at 32. I didn't want to retire. I retired because of injuries. But I felt I was the best I'd ever been because I saw the game differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think all these guys coming over is great. I mean, I did a I did a call this morning through Soccer Resilience uh, with a bunch of kids in Rwanda. And and they were like, they didn't, re- I don't know if they had heard of the MLS. There was a translation barrier and stuff, but they knew who T.R. Henry was, was. They knew who David Beckham was. So that's like all I had to say was like, hey, I played against Beckham, you know, like. But you got to be careful of that because I was like talking to 13 year old girls the other day, like through team. And I was like, you know, who David Beckham is like, I touched him, you know, like, ah, they were like, who's David Beckham? I was like, you know, Posh. They were like, no. I was like, oh my God. But I ask him in two years who Romeo Beckham is, and I guarantee you all of them will know. <laughs> yeah, I digress. I think it's great for the league. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I got, I got another topic I'd like to throw out there. Uh, going back to your point, Andrew, in my opinion as well, Erling Holland is probably the signing of the year. Uh, however, I think where Lewandowski ends up could be really, really, really interesting and kind of create some dominoes falling there um, throughout some of the bigger clubs in the world. Um, Maggie Bell, I'd love to ask your uh, opinion on this because right now we're, we've got the Euros, the, the, the Euros happening for the gals. Um, and, and what has, uh, what absolutely frustrates me being such a big fan of the product that we have for the women's game in our country is that it seems that just because Europe is doing it, it's, you know, you look at the top 50 players in women's soccer and there's not one U.S. female that's in the top 10. And it absolutely, like it's to me, if I, if I was a gal playing for the U.S., uh, I would be so pissed, um, I would beg for an entrance into the Euros just to smash every team 25-0 because I I think it's like the most defensive thing I can possibly like think of for our national program. Um, There's been a lot of criticism lately too about uh, the way that the the women's head coach is kind of coaching the team and some of the rosters he's putting out. And I just would love to get your thoughts uh, kind of on watching the Euros compared to what we see week in and week out with the, the quality that we have in the NWSL how those rosters are being balanced now that a lot of European players are there. So I just love to get kind of your state of the state of the union right now on the, on the gals game. Yeah. Um, I also, sorry, just sat down. Um, but two Perfect things, timing. one, um, just to circle back to that conversation you guys were having about, you know, the older players that enter the game. Um, I think like Marta on the women's side is a perfect example of that. You know, she's 36 now and she's still killing it. Um, with, Orlando Pride um, and like I I mean I know girls who have played with her I played with a couple of them in Germany and or one of them and she was like she's just so smart you know she makes you better just by being there so even when people are old and maybe you know losing a little bit of their like natural athletic talent I do think their knowledge of the game helps advance other players knowledge of the game around them and I'm sure it's the same case in the MLS um, just playing with them and against them you learn so much um, but yeah back to the Euros um, I would say it's hard because it's, you know, the game is growing in all different areas of the world. Um, and like traditionally, we've just been so dominant on, on the U.S. side that it's been like it didn't really matter what they said about us on other sides of, you know, 
across the pond because truthfully we would just always beat them in um the world cup and it was like all that mattered was the fact that like we were the strongest in those and we could we could put our money where our mouth was um but now as the game started to grow more and more across the world and you know bigger clubs are putting money into their women's leagues um it is starting to be like a question like okay like how do we make this work how do we combine all of the top players to get that chance to play against each other or at least like you know be included in that in that scene so i don't have an answer for you but it's an interesting question <laughs> you're muted jay oh my gosh okay so i'll re, re i'll say my whole thought again <laughs> As if you're watching the video, I'm just looking up to the sky. Let's, I'm just asking God help me. Um, it seems that the narrative, though, around the women's game, especially internationally, is not only that the rest of the world has caught up to the U.S., but flown by it and surpassed it. And even from a league standpoint, it's it's that it's purely just looking at attendance numbers now. Like, look, we can we have these huge stadiums and we're drawing massive crowds. Obviously, the product here is better. And is that really a fair assessment of the product that we're seeing in the, on the field at the Euros compared to what we see week in and week out with, you know, within our federation, uh, within, you know, uh, within CONCACAF, uh, within the NWSL? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think that's fair. I think there's probably a wider variety of levels abroad um, than there is in the U.S. I think one weakness of the U.S. league is that it's pretty, in some, in some ways, it's like a little bit political and who, who's able to get like one of those roster spots and they don't treat the, the non-roster squads very well. They're kind of disposable. And as a result, it's just kind of um, a barrier to entry. So that's less of the case in Europe just because they have a lot of different levels. Um, and to be fair, like, you know, the top women's leagues, I mean, I went to a Barcelona game um, when my friend actually got to play against them because their team was in Champions League and watching the Barcelona women's team play was, it was like a dance, like it was so beautiful. So I think, again, not having that actual competition between that and being able to see that week in and week out of like, mm -hmm. okay, who really is the top, if people are saying like, is Europe the top women's league or is the US? Um, I think they're different and they could both benefit from being combined. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's fair to say that Europe has fully surpassed the yeah. US and it, the games that are most It seems yeah, that, produce. you know, we had, we had a massive jump start in the women's game here in this country. And it seems that particularly most of the uh, MLS owners who have kind of just kind of dabbled, maybe they should have a women's team or maybe not. It seems that they missed a massive opportunity to have a, a, a commanding lead forever for the women's game by not valuing enough the um, the place that that sport can have uh, in our country. Um, and it seems that everybody else <clears throat> in Europe saw what was happening here and they, they jumped on real quick and they had the infrastructure and not only the infrastructure, they jumped on it real quick. So it will be, that's going to be a real interesting next 10 years in women's uh, in Woso in women's soccer. It's going to be, it's going to be real exciting to see kind of how this evolves. Yeah. And, and I, I fully agree with that. Um, kind of a hot take and I don't want to like offend anyone in the room, but it, it does feel like it was somewhat of like a pride thing, you know, and, teams were really strong they didn't necessarily want to pick up women's teams because they didn't want to be seen as you know a club that 
had both, which is such an odd thing because, you know, the women's game is growing and is so strong in the U.S. Um, but I just have heard so many stories of people in NWSL who have experienced that and seen club owners not want to pick up a women's team. And that narrative is definitely changing now, but it's it's an odd dichotomy because you're like, why would you not want to support right. this and to help this grow? It makes no sense. We should, we have a massive country. Uh, there's no reason why the NWSL should have 12 teams. There's none. There's, there's over a hundred professional male clubs, uh, clubs, C L U B like football and soccer clubs, which means you don't just have a male team. It means that you are more, you are a sporting organization and you should definitely have a, if you have a male side, you should have a female side. Hell, if angel city wants to roll out a men's team, throw them in USL one. Let's, let's go. Like why, like why not be a club actually be one instead of just uh, being a male and or female team. And that's kind of switching to the, from the American kind of franchise model there. That's a hot take for you, Maggie Um, (laughs) angel city, getting a men's team. That would be pretty, that would be pretty, pretty interesting. Um, No, I, I appreciate you you chiming in on that. Uh, kind of what other, what other kind of topics or things are kind of floating out there for you guys? What are the things that are getting you guys excited about? Um, things that you guys are pondering or chewing on. Let's call on Elliot. He hasn't. Yeah. Elliot, Elliot college season is about ready to roll buddy. Uh, and obviously with recruit fluency and everything you guys are doing, this is, you know, this is a real critical time. Uh, what are some of the trends and patterns that you're seeing in college soccer for athletes? Um, you know, especially coming post COVID with, you know, people having an extra year. Um, what are, what are you seeing kind of on that front there? Yeah. Uh, appreciate it. So going back to, to narrative, um, you spoke about that earlier and, and I said this when we were on air, uh, last time the narrative throughout the youth sports landscape, when it comes to college recruitment is that, um, you're just going to have someone do it for you, right? And no one wants to put in the work. No one wants to sort of walk through fear. And I know this isn't necessarily answering your question specifically, but it's what I'm seeing, right? So we have we have a couple of, you know, juggernauts in the business. Let's say NCSA. And I don't care if I offend anyone. So I'm just going to go there. We have NCSA. We have Be Recruited. Um, and then we have a couple of other ones that underlie, you know, right below them, which, which are, which are, you know, without getting too into it, boiler room type organizations that don't really, um, they market themselves exceptionally well, and they've done a great job to control that narrative throughout the youth sports landscape, but they're not, they're not they're not producing or they're not coming. They don't follow what they market in what they actually provide is what I'm trying to say. So what I see a lot is high school athletes, um, not only on the, on the soccer side, but throughout, throughout all sports that are missing opportunities, right? Because they're, they're relying on other people, other organizations, to take the lead and find them a place to follow their passions and play soccer at the collegiate level. Instead of going about things the right way, which although 
they are the right way. Maybe it's a little bit harder. Maybe you have to walk through a lot more fear. Maybe you have to get on the phone with college coaches, right? So I'm seeing a lot of people missing opportunities because they're unwilling to put in the hard work. And I think it stems, I know it stems from the parents, right? Everyone wants recruit fluency to show them the money, right? Like that's really what they, that they, they want me to do is they, they want me to call a college coach. They want me to do this. They want me to do that, but they're unwilling to do the hard work themselves to get to where they need to be. And I think it, it's an underlying tone within our culture, within soccer um, specifically in that we see it on the field. We see it at practices. We see it, you know, throughout the youth is that people are unwilling to do the hard work to get to where they want to be. So it's really interesting. Um, and I guess it's, it's a bone that I pick every day, right? It, it's something that I deal with, but to answer your question, that's what I see. I see a lot of the same old, same old, and no one willing to change their approach to college recruitment. Yeah, and where, when there's those narratives exist and stuff, um, and when someone's not willing to work hard, you know, like like Wells Thompson can attest in the conversation that we had we we had a few weeks ago, someone who's willing to work hard can step right in and take that opportunity right under your nose, and that's just that's. If you're not willing to work hard, the person who is is going to be able to be the one who's going to be able to get that bone and to be able to go forward. Um, yeah. And that's that's kind of the you know without without being too you know uh, old guy shaking my finger at the young mm-hmm. generation like no one values hard work anymore you know but but it's really difficult because um, most of the time and I say this as a soccer parent uh, most of the time you try to create an opportunity to remove any obstacles or challenges for your kids. So when challenges come and and hard work actually has to be deployed, they don't really have thick enough skin through experiencing enough adversity, uh, challenge or failure uh, to know how to actually push through and be an overcomer. Uh, We're very soft. We're very soft in sport in that regard. And I think it ultimately all comes down to fear, right? Being that sort of base base tendency to, to default to is that I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to, you know, do this perceived hard work because I'm just going to not get the result that I'm looking for. Uh, and I see that coming from the parents as well as everyone's fearful. Um, but they're, un- but they're unwilling to admit the fear and they're un- unwilling to label it as fear because they're above that. So it's, it's classified as something else. Yeah. Well, as we were talking about parenting earlier too, and, and so that's kind of one of those things yeah. where you can even see to, that. Yeah, go just ahead. Just to what he was saying, um, yeah. you know, one of the things that we do at Soccer Resilience is, and, and we were at Wake talking to the Wake Men's program yesterday, and the very first thing we say is, guys, this isn't about, like, don't, you don't, don't, don't just believe me because I'm saying it. Like, this is about taking your career and your life into your own hands. I talk to professional athletes all the time. And then I look back on my career as being a pro. I didn't talk to coach like pros will call me and be like, Hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm like, did you talk to coach? They're like, <laughs> yeah. N- uh, uh, you know, and I'm like, it's the same in the college level. And I think it's the same. And I think it's pervasive amongst elite athletes because elite athletes don't do things for themselves. They're told what to wear. They're told where to be but they're considered the leaders, but they don't have a voice. 
right? And there's a lot of cop-out, especially I think when you get a little bit older, it's like, I lead by example. I lead by example. Okay, I'm just going to lead by example. I think it's a cop-out because I think you have to, to, do, to be a truly good leader, you have to, you have to learn, you have to, you have to discover your voice. And part of me uh, going into soccer resilience is like, I finally discovered my voice. Like I never had a voice really when I was a pro, my voice was on the field and how I played. Right. But anyway, all that to say, like, are you providing, and this would be really interesting to talk about, like, are you providing any psychological, like, coaching or resources for them because i do agree i think it's it's psychological people don't want to be told no they're afraid to uh uh they they view confrontation as as wrong they view a conversation as confrontation uh, they don't know how to uh, believe in themselves and you know they know how to tweet and instagram all of those things but they don't know how to like have a conversation with an adult so i just wondered if that was part of your services or anything that you provided for them yeah, so they have the option. I, I've worked closely with Shawnee Harley, who's a two-time Olympian coach uh, with the national uh, Canadian National Organization, and uh, she does a lot of mindset, um, very similar to soccer resilience, uh, a little bit different capacity. Um, but that's 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 it's an offering. However, a lot of most of the time, it's not uh, taken taken up because. That's not that's not the issue. Right. That that's not right. That's not the issue. And and when I work when I work with uh, players one on one, which is an anomaly, I don't like to do it. I like to provide them the education to get through the process the way it's supposed to be done. But I will take some clients one on one if need be. And that is part of the service that I have to have to work through with them, which is coaching them on phone calls, coaching them on walking through the fear coaching them on, you know, what to do next. Um, do I do it as well as soccer resilience? Probably not, but yes, it is a part of our process, right? Yeah. Well, no, it's all life stuff. And I think sometimes a part of the conversation is that we overcomplicate things and we say Mm -hmm. mental and we say, train your brain. And like, every time I say that, it makes me feel funny inside. I'm like, that's weird. It's like, it's really just teaching life skills, you know? Right. Well, I got, I got, Well, let me chime in real quick because I have a question, you know, gosh, everybody but Marissa and I in this whole entire room played soccer growing up. Can you can you without without getting too much into anecdotes, but can you remember the age you were as a player when you took it upon yourself to go talk to the coach because you had a concern or you you had a question? Like, do you remember how young you were when you felt "I, I need to go talk to my coach about about something that I'm thinking about? Does anybody Anything come to mind how young you were did or we how old you were? Go talk to them or did we think it? No, to actually go talk to them. Like how oh. old that you felt you were empowered enough as a player on a team to go talk directly to a coach? 31 maybe. I, I remember my parents telling me if I have an issue or I have a question and I was 12 or 13, that the only way it was going to get solved was if I went and I spoke and had that conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think ultimately – for me, it was, it was younger, be, but yeah. only because I was guided the right way. Yeah. Maggie, can you recall? Yeah, I think I was probably 11 or 12. Um, but interesting just to like add to this conversation, because I think I understand what all of you are saying, but I do think there's a fair amount of athletes on my side, and maybe it's a different experience within the women's game, but who are willing to make those those 
you know, those leaps for themselves and ask questions and are met with um, hostility, either from coaches and whatnot. And then that adds to the um, people are, you know, they're told don't question the system. Like don't, yeah. you know, you're, you're lucky to be here. And then you kind of learn to keep your mouth shut and you've been successful. So why mess with, you know, the, you know, the current equation that's working really well for you. Yeah. Um, so I do think it's a little bit of both ways. Like people need to, you know, be able to take it upon themselves to make those changes and learn. But on the other side, it's like having respect for players because even like I found and again, you know, I'm coming from a, a unique place where I, where I didn't have a great experience in college, but, you know, you weren't necessarily treated as a full human. You were treated as a player who, similar to the way they treat 13 or 14 year olds. You know, you're a full adult. You're asking questions. And um, oftentimes you weren't treated like that. And it's, it's just a weird dichotomy where you're, you know, you're, you're in college or you're a professional and you're making these life decisions for yourself and you're trying to advocate and it's not always met with, um, welcome oh, warm welcome reception on. yeah <laughs> warm reception yeah so i think that is something the game as a whole needs to look at more of the the other side as well and be like is this we're not creating a space in which people feel like they can't advocate for themselves yeah well there's that balance too where you you want you want a person to actually feel that they're empowered to have a voice for themselves but let's be on on the other end of the spectrum there's people that feel that everything that everything that they bring up everybody should always listen to as well cuz then there that's the other side of the conversation that we're talking about the fear and then the entitlement of like well i feel this so you know everybody should have to cater to now what i think needs to happen uh, i've been married for 18 years so i understand the spectrum cuz i i do both and i've i've been through this a lot and i have kids uh, rory and andrew uh, maggie thanks so much for chiming in because your experience on that is yeah. is really yeah. valuable yeah um Andrew, Rory, do you guys kind of remember when you guys were, how old you guys were talking to coaches and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, well, I, I've been blessed with very compassionate coaches, uh, at least from where I can remember, uh, high school and, and, and older. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was kind of the kid that would run through the wall for, for anyone that I looked up to. So that, that relationship was, um, was easy for me to fester. So for me, it was kind of, was beginning of high school because my brother had played and I knew the coaches and their family friends. And, um, and like I said, you know, I run through the wall, like we talked earlier about the best player being the captain on a team. And I think I remember if I was, I think I was a sophomore year, I held the best player on the team up against the locker because he had the captaincy and I didn't think he was doing it right. Um, I was not the proudest moment to resort to that. Um, but My captaincy now. It's our captaincy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of how I felt, you know. Um, and, and you know, being, being a big old center back, that's like what I had behind me was muscle and size. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was probably then. And, um, and that's where I found myself, you know, working with surf, uh, you know, when, when Benoit David brought me in, who you've had on the podcast and he's just such a compassionate guy. And I watch, I look at how he talks to the kids and, um, you know, treats them all, all, all as adults. And, uh, and that's, that's the model that I want. Um, kind of what, you know, what Wells was talking about earlier. Uh, and, and just to bridge off of that, just, um, uh, you know, not all these kids are going to go all the way and, and, you know, what are we taking from this? And, um, you know, they still, they still can, there's, a, there are, there are those guys too, that those kids that, you know, we're talking about the one side where we talk about entitlement and fear and all those things, but then there's those few kids that come up and they're, they're there every day. They're early. 
they're asking questions, they're getting themselves prepped and like, it kind of fills you with joy, gives you that energy yeah. um, to, to handle kind of the, the flip side of things. But I went a little long winded on that, but no, you're yeah. good, man. I appreciate it. Andrew, do you remember? Yeah, I would want to say it was my senior year in high school and it was because my junior year, I, I was, I played and started on every single team up until my junior year and we got a new coach and then, uh, was the leading scorer in preseason and then just got benched for 75% of the season with supposedly no explanation. And uh, so that was kind of the first time where I was like, I spoke up because I was just confused why all of a sudden the what I thought was reality had, had suddenly changed. And yeah, I think we talked about this when I was on the podcast, but uh, then, you know, at junior year ends and then being told that the only way I'd play my senior year is if I switched to goalkeeper and ended up doing that. And uh, just because I wanted to play, I didn't want to sit around and do nothing. And, uh, and then ended up being, I think it was like top three in the state of Arizona that year after basically teaching myself. And so it was on the podcast, we talked about finding your opportunities when your playing career ends and while I was still playing, it was like that first point where I realized that my way of impacting the game is it had no longer been playing. And now I had to realize that there's going to be other ways that I was going to be able to make my impact. Yeah. And that was kind of that first point. And then obviously we go into, you know, what happened in college and then, and then what brought me to, you know, where I'm at right now. Yeah. But uh, it was a shock, but, the conversation didn't go well and but I just kind of said listen this is the team that I have and I want to play and I want to help them win whatever way could and uh, that is such an yeah. amazing story holy cow I wish I was that mature now like <laughs> that's amazing seriously that's a big deal goodness thanks for sharing man yeah of course, of course. yeah in Elliot I appreciate you kind of winding that one up just because I I you know you know, Wells, for you to say I was 31 years old before I had that conversation first, that, you know, that's way too late to have a big conversation about your own, like taking the reins of your own life and, and having conversations with adults. I, I know that I know that for my myself, for my kiddos, the best way that I can advocate for them is to empower them to have as many conversations as early as possible and interactions with adults so that they can grow into maturity, and know how to act and operate in the world. Cause I won't always be there to hold their hand. Like I get hit by a bus tomorrow and, the, the, and I could be gone. And so I, I want to be able to raise up my, my daughters, especially to be able to be um, very confident in who they are. But I also have another philosophy that I use in business and stuff like that. Um, it's always that you always have a no until you ask. If you never ask or you never at least have conversations, you're assuming a no in that conversation. And, and what if the answer is yes? Or what if the answer is, hey, work on these two things and you're there? Uh, what if you learn a lot more about yourself by just at least asking and inviting people into that conversation with you? And so that's one of the big things that I have with life. Um, you know, it's one of the big things that we kind of tackle on this show is like, well, what if, what if we could get so-and-so to be on the podcast? Well, what if I ask this question? What could happen? It's, it's, it's living more in the what if instead of the, the why nots. You know, I guess, I guess not. I guess it's not going to happen. Well, nothing will happen if you don't, not necessarily if you don't make it happen, but if the answer's already no, you're just defeating yourself, right? And so instead of, you know, we talk a lot about mindset, but what if we actually start living in more of a, an interactive 
mindset and said it's like defeatist always. And so um, I always think about that for youth players, college players, coaches, friends, business. If you're a human being and you have a pulse, you know, uh, live in the what if. Uh, what, what if this act, what if the answer is yes, then, then what? Cause I, th I think a lot of times, I think, I think for a lot of players, I think a lot of professionals, I think a lot of people already assume failure. They already assume defeat, but what if the answer is not failure? What if it's, what if it's success? And we're, we're sometimes more afraid of succeeding because we're already assuming we're failing. And I, I think that if we can make that shift as young as possible for kids to kind of walk that out. Uh, we do a better job. We can do that in our businesses. If we can do that in the people that, you know, Elliot, to your point about the people that are in your industry that you see that are just, man, they're just kind of phoning it in. They got a funnel system. They've got, you know, three Ted talks that they've done about how, you know, they basically are increasing profits for blah, 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 but they're not actually taking care of their consumers. Man, I see an opportunity. What if somebody actually cared? Right. You know, well, uh, sir. Yeah. Sorry. That's, that's me kind of, kind of wrapping all together. Go ahead, Marissa, put a bow on it. No, you, uh, uh, my question actually was going to be, so how can we, if, I, so I don't have kids and I don't coach and I'm not a ref, but I am helping with this podcast to get these messages out and these really valuable, I think life lessons, but also tactical things, you know, when it comes to training. Um, so my question was going to be, so what, can someone like me or someone who does not play currently or does not have a company or runs a nonprofit or like does all these things that are like directly active. Um, and I think it all comes back to, you know, living in what Jason said, the what if, um, you know, being there and being open to talking to younger kids about just life, not like, yeah. you know, kind of, Oh, you know, like we're not going to talk about that because it's, you know, they're they're not my kid, or you know, just being a good representative, being a good human, because I yeah. think that that helps. But um, I think, you know, for me personally, um, being a football fan or soccer fan, we say soccer on this podcast because it's That's US right. That's damn right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, doing the you know raising awareness uh, for people like myself that are fans of the game. And uh, the the abuse we get, like, for just being fans, um, you know, the, the sexist abuse, I would say, um, you know, do you really watch the game or do you have? No, Who's I the cutest player to you, Marissa? I'm, Who is cute? Oh my God. Yeah. I'm not the, talking about that. Like, no, I know. But like, that's what that's the narrative. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I think, um, you know, that's uh, I am part of if you guys didn't know, I'm part of the Her Game too. Um, lead a uh, team that is kind of bringing that awareness over here on the U.S. It's huge in the U.K. Um, so we're looking to, you know, bring that awareness in addition to other things, uh, you know, of growing good humans um, out here through the game of soccer. So yeah. um, if you're looking into that, uh, looking into any of that, I'm happy to share uh, more later on, too. But that's well, how I make an impact. <laughs> Go ahead, Gene. That's right. I, well, I want to I want to tie this together with what you said, Marissa, and then kind of lead us out. It's that you know we've you know me you guys have all known me for for a while now, and it's um, no one can change the world like you can when you show up. You were created for a very specific person to leave the world better than you found it. Find what that is. Find your people. Bring more people and invite more people in into that passion and do life. Don't let life happen to you and don't let it pass you by, right? And I think that 
I think that that is such an empowering thing because it doesn't matter whether you have kids. It doesn't matter whether you coach, right? Um, it just matters if you show up. And sometimes even if we're broken or even if we're busted or even if everything's not perfect, sometimes just showing up is enough. And there's plenty of people in your life that just want to know that you're there. So I just encourage people to show up and to get after it because no one can change the world like you can when you show up. Thanks for joining us on the Soccer Geeks podcast. This has been one heck of a great show at the roundtable. Thanks to all of our guests today who have joined. We hope you guys have enjoyed it. We can't wait to see you next on the episodes that we're going to be rolling out to you guys. All the best to you from Marissa and I on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Bye.